Would you turn in the scriptures uh, to Ephesians chapter 3? We're going to read the whole chapter again. And you're in trouble tonight because you have a South African reading the scriptures and a Greek preaching the scriptures. So you're in trouble. The nations have come to see the springs. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. That's on page 977. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may now be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all, all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. As uh, Yotta said this morning, there are certain times where, which are Kairos times, and if you'd come to me 10 years ago and said that a good proportion of our ministry at uh, Cedar Springs, mission ministry would be in Europe, and in particularly in, in Athens, I would have been very surprised. But this has been an incredible Kairos moment. This movement of people out of the Middle East into Western Europe is one of the largest movements of people in the history of the world. And it is a Kairos moment. If you've been a missionary in the Middle East over the last 200 years, you would have been struggling. You would have been praying to God for the harvest. And in an amazing way, in 200 years, virtually nothing happened, but in the last 10 years, God has opened the floodgates. And so this really is a Kairos moment, not only in Europe, but also in other parts of Asia. So uh, one of the side effects of that Kairos moment is that we've had the opportunity to do partnership with this church in Athens, first evangelical church, with Pastor Yotis being the, the senior pastor there, and it's been a delight, Yotis, for you to partner with us and allow us to be co-partners with you in the gospel. So please come up and uh, 
bring the word of God to us. Thank you, Piers. Well, uh, Piers betrayed my trick. Uh, I asked him to read the scripture so that uh, after hearing his southern African accent, then my accent would be music to your ears. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my plan. But um, it's really a joy and a privilege to be with you again uh, today. And actually, I, as I uh, saw the video and we heard the two testimonies, basically that was my message, that the church does not have a mission. The church is the mission of God. And um, so what I'm going to try to do is to show that from the scriptures, why we say that. Is it because it's the new fashion? Is it because it's cool to say that? Church planning is the new thing? Or is it because the scriptures is teaching us that? So that will be my purpose. First of all, to illustrate that from the scriptures, especially from the third chapter of Ephesians that we studied this morning. Would return, and then I'll just share our story, how we came. I mean, we are a very old, I don't know how old this church is, John. All right, you're older than us. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> well, um, it's a very old church, and how um, we moved to realize and, uh, that this is God's calling for us to plant churches. Now, let me first try something and see if it works. It doesn't. Oh. It does. Good. Um, well, um, let's, let's return back to the scriptures and sorry, but we'll talk about the mystery again. Uh, we talked a lot about that in the morning. We'll talk a little bit more about it. So we'll try again to address this question. What is this mystery? that Paul keeps talking about the whole of the epistle in the epistle of Ephesians. And, um, okay. Uh, and I would like you to turn to verses four to six, four to six, uh, to read those verses again. And Paul says there, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the question is, I mean, obviously Paul says that there's something new here. That's what the now means, that... Uh, this mystery that has been revealed brings something new, okay? So the question is, what is this new thing that the mystery consists of, okay? This is a very key hermeneutical question when we try to understand uh, this uh, passage. And there are several options. A popular option is to say that what the mystery was all about, that was hidden and now is being revealed, is that the Gentiles will also be fellow heirs, partakers, of, uh, and fellow members in the same body. This is a very popular understanding of what the mystery is all about. But of course, it's problematic because if we read the Old Testament, we see that there are many prophecies that prophesy that the nations will come and join um, the people of God. I, 
we have a Bible college in, in Greece, and in my free time, I also teach there, uh, and I teach Isaiah. And if you read the book of the prophet Isaiah, it's full of prophecies about the nations coming, being incorporated. So is this really something which was hidden, and it's a new revelation? I don't think so. So we keep asking the question, what is the new thing that this mystery is bringing about? So another uh, Okay, another option is this, is uh, to focus in the word as. Let me read that again. When you read this, you can perceive my insight to the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles. In other words, it's a matter of clarity. Yes, I mean, that's the other interpretation. It was prophesied, but it was not as clear as it is now in the New Testament. So that is another interpretation, which again, it's, it's, it's a valid interpretation, but still I don't think it's, it's not convincing enough. So I would like to uh, offer uh, another way to look into this uh, passage and a- answer this question. Bear with me, I know it's a little bit um, complicated, but... Um, there is practical stuff coming out of deep uh, exegesis, okay? That's what we are as Protestants. I mean, we want to go to the scriptures and find in the scriptures the answers. So if we go back to chapter 1, verse 10, uh, again, Paul talks about the mystery, and he says, verse 9, that uh, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as, here is the word that we explained this morning, a plan, which is the word economia, which you get the word economy, uh, and actually uh, economia comes from uh, the word ikos, oikos, as you may call it, which means house, household. Okay, so another way that you can interpret that is like the household management for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, based on that uh, verse, uh, we have two scholars. One of them was my professor at Gordon Conwell. Now he's teaching at Westminster Theological Seminary that they have written a book. It's called Hidden But Now Revealed and uh, the subtitle A Biblical Theology of Mystery. Okay, so they take this notion, this concept of mystery, and they go through the scriptures in different books of the Bible, and of course they examine Ephesians, and I will just read a few quotes from that book, and I found them really fascinating. Uh, First quote, Christ came to restore or reconcile a lost unity and harmony between heaven and earth which had been planted into disintegration because of sin. Keep in mind, the question is why the church is the means that God is fulfilling his purposes, okay? And uh, uh, how the church demonstrates the gospel and the mystery. Okay, let's go on. God's cosmic household had fallen into disorder and became wrecked and fragmented. Christ came as a household manager, that is the revelation of the mist, as a household manager, to put God's cosmic household back into order. Okay? Another quotation. 
the main focus of the revelation of the mystery is that Christ is the point of reintegration and restoration of the original cosmic unity and harmony that had been lost at the fall of humanity, a fragmentation that had affected not only earthly, but also the heavenly realm. Third quotation. One of the most significant ways in which Christ has begun to restore the fragmented cosmos is the unification of, now I hope you get to understand why the church, is the unification of formerly, formerly alienated and hostile people groups. Just as all things are united in Christ, so Jews and Gentiles are joined together in him. The mystery is that what makes them one is not uniformity, but Christ. Mm -hmm. So, when we go back to the verses and we ask, what is the mystery that has been now revealed? Is it that Gentiles and Jews will be together? Okay, that was prophesied. Is it just a matter of clarity? Okay, that's not enough. The key thing is that this unity will become affected because of Jesus Christ through the gospel. That there will be, that there will be a community that these different people will be one, not because they're alike or they like each other, but because of Jesus Christ and because of the gospel. So, uh, here is the thing. We may go out and proclaim that Christ will make all things again one. We may go out and proclaim that Christ will heal all the fragmentation, that he will restore all the alienation, and the world says to us, how can I know? I mean, you're saying all this, Christ is the solution, Christ is new, doing a new thing, Christ will create a new creation, that's fine, but how do I know? The answer based on that should be, come and take a look at the church. The church is the visible manifestation of what is doing and going to do in these worlds. So this is why we say that the church does not have a mission, but is the mission. The church is not doing evangelism as a program or as a project, but the very existence of the church is a witness, is a demonstration of, as we read in, uh, in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is the mission. The church is the demonstration. But the question is, what church? Hmm? Not every church. But the church where we can see Christ reconciling uh, fragmented entities. A church that does not make sense according to human standards. That church is the church that demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, there is a very popular quote, uh, the church in a pluralistic society, 
by a Catholic brother, Leslie Nubigen, who says that the only hermeneutic of the gospel in a pluralistic society where we don't have the plausibility of the gospel, when you, you say Christ will make everything perfect, people now, today, in these days, they say, why you say that? I don't trust you, I don't believe that. The only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. So, let, tell, let me tell you a little bit about our story, how we came to realize that. As I said, we are very old church, 160, 170 years old church. Uh, I didn't plant the church. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, when, um, uh, if, you, if you come to my office, and it's one of the popular places to visit in Athens, uh, because from my office, I need to confess, you can see on the one window the, the Parthenon, and on the other, the Temple of Zeus, the Hendrian's Arts, and I need to charge tickets for those who come and see my office. But, uh, but if you come to my office, I mean, the most important thing is not Parthenon or the Hendrian's Arts, but there are two artifacts. One is a picture of how the place looked like when they moved out to that area. I have an old painting, of course, nobody cared to paint our church, but because we're really in the middle of Hendrian's arts and the Parthenon, a lot of people were painting or taking photographs, so we have well documented this uh, whole area. If you, uh, when people come and I show them that picture, I say, what do you see? And typically they say, nothing. And I say, correct, that's the correct answer, because literally there is nothing. Um, when the church was planted, uh, it was a tiny group of evangelical believers in, an, in a Greek Orthodox country. It was right after the World Revolution. And it was very difficult to be something different back th in th those days, even today. But back then it was very hard. So our forefathers decided to move outside the city. And um, when I first arrived in the church, I remember that a lot of people, the old folk, would say, okay, don't bother them so that they don't bother you. You know, so that was the idea. Let's go outside the city so that they don't bother you, and you don't bother them so that they don't bother you. And that can become your mission statement. And it was the mission statement of our church and the mode of operation for many, many years. But somebody said in those interviews that we're going to be the city of God and the city of men. And, you know, one of the interesting things is that as much as we try to avoid the city, God in his wisdom and in his humor, he brought the city to us. Uh, and right now, our church is really the middle of everything in, in a very central, central location in the city. So uh, we started feeling that we need to do something. Uh, we need to reach out our city. Now, it's the summer of 2004, and it was a good time for Greece. Uh, we had the Olympics, and I felt that this is a great opportunity to do something, which we did. We organized a big project, that's the only thing I knew. And, you know, I grew up doing evangelistic uh, crusades and campaigns and doing things like that. So we said, okay, let's do a project. And we did a project we called the Crown of Life. We had 300 volunteers coming from around the world to help us. And we did many different projects. Uh, we had Bible distribution, 100,000 Gospels of Luke. We were distributing water. We had an exhibit uh, for, from 
the athletic imagery of the New Testament and hundreds and thousands of people visited. We, church, we changed the church into welcome center and many, many people came. It, it was, I mean, our first service on Sunday, the first Sunday of the Olympics was broadcasted by BBC and the Queen uh, heard me preach and uh, they checked my accent. Years, uh, this producer from BBC called me, he has me on the phone for about half an hour asking stupid questions. And I said, you know, what's going on? And he says, you know, I was checking to see if your accent is good enough so that you can preach because the queen is going to listen to that program. So good things, you know. And um, I, I kept saying to my congregation, you know what, this is a good thing, a great thing. We need to go out. We need to do that. And, you know, and nobody believed me. Everybody said, you are crazy. Nothing will happen. At, at the end, everybody was excited because it was a big success, everybody. But I was devastated because I realized that it's very easy to be successful failing, meaning that all the projects were a big success. But when you ask, why are you doing all these things? I mean, am I in the business of distributing trucks? If that's my business, then okay, we distributed 100,000 trucks, but is that what it is? No, no. Our business, our calling is to be the church that will display the manifold wisdom of God and have an impact in the city. Nothing of that sort had happened. So I was really devastating, devastating. For a year I was praying and praying, and I didn't know what God expected of us. And um, the summer of two, 2005, um, the church, I mean, the church was really excited. I mean. Sometimes they don't get it. And so they gave me a sabbatical, an extra month. So I went to Boston to complete my PhD and uh, my, to write my dissertation. And while I was there, some friends of mine, uh, uh, they said to me, you know what? We started going to this nice church in Boston. Why don't you go and visit with our pastor? Which I did. And, you know, when you meet somebody like that you don't know, you feel safe to express your frustration. So I started saying my story. I said, you know, we did this and that. We're a church in the center of the city, and uh, we're going to reach out the city, but we tried different projects, but I don't think that this is the way, and I don't know what to do. And he said to me, 2005, he said to me, have you heard of Redeemer Presbyterian Church? I said, no. Uh, have you heard of Tim Keller? I said, who is this guy, uh, 2005? Uh, and uh, so he said, you know what? I think that uh, you will find it you know, interesting to connect with them because that's who they are. They're a church in the city. They're trying to reach out their city and perhaps you can interact with them. So I emailed them once. I emailed this particular guy twice. I emailed him three times and that's, it. I never emailed him back. He never answered my emails. It was Al Barth. So, uh, he doesn't remember that. Uh, so, uh, after I don't know how many months, I received an email. And I'll tell you why I say this story. I received an email. And um, it's Al Barth apologizing, saying, you know what, I mean, back then we had the 10 global city, that's, that's all we care about, church planning, and Athens obviously was not one, but he said, last night I was on a flight, on a plane, and next to me was this guy, uh, and uh, we start discussing, and I pick up an accent, and I ask him, where are you coming from? 
he said, uh, I'm from Greece. I said, really? I have a guy who keeps emailing me from Athens. <laughs> what are the chances, right? So he turns on his computer and says, my name. And this guy says, oh, this is my first cousin. Of course, <laughs> of course in Greece, everyone is related to, <laughs> to everyone else. But uh, Al felt that that was, you know, providentially God saying to him, you know, go and visit. So he came and he started talking about church planning. And in the morning, I used this expression, the Stephen Jobs syndrome, let me explain it more. You know what, I mean, Stephen Jobs, this idea that I started this small business in the garage and now it's this multi-billion. Uh, and, and, you know, everything I heard about church planting was like that. You know, okay, we started five people and now we're 5,000 people. I said, okay, that cannot happen ever in my context. So it took two to three years of discussing, discussing even more, praying, and most importantly, reading the scriptures, to be convinced that this is not an American idea, and we're not doing it because it works, but this is what the scriptures is teaching us, that God chose to manifest his wisdom through the church. So what we need to do is to plant churches. But I like this question Okay, how? You know, so I was con convinced that, okay, we need to plant churches, but how do you do that? How do you do that? After being involved in five church planting initiatives, I'll tell you this, there is no methodology. I mean, uh, if you see the history of all these churches, it's a totally different thing. You know what it takes? The animal <laughs> on the altar. It takes someone who's really committed. It takes someone who really understands the calling and he's committed to go out and plant a church. And if he does, and he will find the way. So, is it always a success story? It is not. And um, I'm glad listening to all these amazing stories and the enthusiasm, but I need to tell you that there is a lot of pain, disappointment, tears, brokenness, and it's not an easy thing. And I appreciated what this brother said. Sometimes you lose your sleep on Saturday night, wondering, is anybody going to show up? I remember when uh, we planted the second church, in Exarchia, we'll hear more about that tomorrow. Exarchia is uh, a church being planted in the anarchist area of Athens. So we sent two church planters there. Nobody was living there. We had no core group, nothing, totally nothing. So we said, but this is a strategic area. We need to plant the church there. And it was a, a dark period because we didn't know. I mean, is anything going to come out of that, and as I said in the morning, I had the board of the elders asking questions, who are they, what are they doing, and I had no clue. And I still remember a particular night that I woke up having almost a panic attack, saying, what is going on? I mean, does it go anywhere? And in the morning, I call the two church planters, and I say, we need to meet. So we meet, and before I start talking, 
one of the two church planters, Alex, says, you don't need to confess something. Last night, I had a panic attack. And I woke up in the middle of the night. And I said, what is going on? And we all realize that it's a spiritual battle that we need to pray. And we don't have any certainties. But we are there committed. And we trust the Lord. And we believe in a sovereign God. And sometimes God says, yes. And there are times that God says, no. But we are justified by faith, not by works. So it's okay. It's okay to fail. But the Lord is using that in order to have an impact in the city. So we're really thankful for Cedar Springs, as I conclude, and for other churches that they grasp that, that the way to uh, impact the cities and the world is through churches. And this is not because it works. This is because it's God who decided that through the church, he will display his wisdom to the world, even to the heavenly powers. So I commend you for that. And the only challenge I would like to give you is this. Many times, churches in the States, I say these things that they never, you know, call me back. Uh, many times, many churches in the States, they think about church planting taking place in other places in the world. So I challenge you. I know it's a tough thing to plant churches here in Knoxville. Uh, to, not to be involved in planting churches around the world, but plant churches even here. And I know it's a painful process to lose people. And that does not have to do only with leadership, but it has to do with you. I mean, are you ready to take up the cost? Because I know, I mean, as this good brother said that he always thought that he would end his career here, I know that many of you hope that, you know, your kids will grow up with the kids of all the other families they marry together, and they will have a wonderful life together, and will be members of this congregation, and it's, it's a painful thing to decide that I'm going to move out and go to a new place to start, to help start a new church. So it takes all of us, and I encourage you to be part of it. Why? Not because it works, but because it's that God decided that through the church, he will display his wisdom. Amen.